0: Uh huh. All right. So we have been in a conversation um, uh, for the last couple of weeks about fear, and what we've been learning is that is that God doesn't want us to be afraid. That that there are um, many causes of fear in the world, but God doesn't want us to to be afraid of any of them. And um, I think I think we can be maybe. Well, I know we can be forgiven for anything, and so I, I hope we can be forgiven. If in light. Particularly of the last two years, uh, we might find ourselves thinking, "Well, if God doesn't want us to be afraid, He's got a funny way of showing it." Because there have been so many things that we could be afraid of. Um, just uh, today, looking at the um, the local news, I saw that uh, we are we are in fact in the middle of this um, uh, surge of the Delta variant. It's it's um, uh, depending on how you want to spin it, and our newspaper spins it both ways, um, either cases are beginning to fall or cases are raging. And um, I think the answer is a little bit of both. Um, uh, we know that from other parts of the country that this Delta surge will have an end, just like the one last summer did. Um, the question is how much harm it will do in the meantime uh we saw that the nation as a whole is is reaching a mar- marker of about 700,000 deaths from covid over the past um whatever 20 months or something since they began uh, counting covid deaths and and you know uh joseph stalin famously said that that uh, one death is a tragedy and a million deaths is a st- is a statistic but every one of those 700,000 deaths is a tragedy because because for us you know it's like i you know 700,000 people right but somebody knew that person somebody knew the one whose life was cut short that every one of those 700,000 deaths was a tragedy some of them were younger some of them were older some of them had comorbidities and some of them didn't but they were all tragedies and as we as we consider that as we just kind of real under the impact of that idea, 700,000. That's like almost all of Alaska dying. That's an amazing number. It is a terrifying number. It's a heartbreaking number. But as we think about it, as we think about that number, it may be helpful to remember that COVID isn't even the leading cause of death. According to the the CDC, back in August, when parts of the country were beginning to have their own um, uh, Delta surge, there were 727 um, deaths from COVID every day on average in August. But there were twice as many from cancer and nearly three times as many from heart disease. And if you look at the the CDC's uh, website, this is their chart of the of the leading causes of. Death, and you see, COVID is only third of of the top eleven um, causes, and that of those of those leading causes of death, COVID only represents about a tenth of the deaths. And I say all this not to minimize COVID and say, well, don't worry about it. You know, cancer is worse. But to, but to remind us that that COVID has has exposed something that was easy to forget before. That it was easy to forget how many people. We're dying every day from things like cancer and heart disease. COVID is, is kind of like the tip of the iceberg that shows us what's been going on, that we kind of grew numb to and didn't really think about until it actually affected our own life, when somebody we knew had cancer or had, had a heart attack. Uh, and then, and then it, we kind of thought about it for a little bit, and then we moved on, because, of course, cancer and heart attacks, those are, you know. And COVID has made us think, no, you know what? These things are there. Back during World War II, the English writer C.S. Lewis uh, uh, wrote a story in which he imagined a correspondence between two demons. Um, they, are, they are trying to uh, strategize about how best to, to tempt someone to abandon his faith in God. And, uh, because, because they're, you know, what can we use in the person's environment? How can we do this? Uh, they refer several times throughout the book to the fact that there was, World War II was going on. And so, uh, when the war first breaks out, uh, the, the, the senior demon writes this. He says, he says, well, of course, uh, a, a, a war is entertaining. I mean, what demon doesn't like a good war, right? They're so juicy and bloody. But he goes on, he says, but, If we are not careful, we shall see thousands turning in this tribulation to the enemy. The enemy is God. He says, how disastrous for us is the continual remembrance of death which war enforces. In wartime, not even a human can believe that he is going to live forever. And I think that's what COVID has done. COVID has shattered our ability, at least for a little while, To deny that deep reality. But I'm afraid it will be for a little while. Even now, even in the middle of COVID, we see things like this. Maybe you saw this, this was a couple of days ago. Um, Science Alert want to live forever? There's no theoretical limit on the human lifespan, new study says. Now, look, I'm all for science. I wish them the best. Whoever those researchers are, I really hope that they are successful in coming up with new therapies and, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, the next things will be to help address the problem of death, right? We're all, we're all in a better situation today than people were a hundred years ago in terms of our, our, our lifespan because, because of all the things that have been developed. And I wish them the best, but I'm just not going to Put a lot of stock in living forever, because even if we do figure out a way to 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 stop covid and and heart disease and cancer and all those other things, you know, there's plain old accidents. You probably saw the story in the news here in Anchorage that we 've had this um, uh, pedestrians have been more likely to be killed by vehicles in the last two years there 's been this spike, and no one really knows why and so maybe people will you know as part of that effort they 'll figure out new ways to design bikes or cars or roads or whatever it takes as they as they study that and figure out what what the causes of that are and again, you probably also saw. Um, last month, the, the FBI released its uniform crime statistics for 2020, and there was this shocking increase in the number of murders, that the number of murders jumped by more than 30% in a single year. So very troublesome data. And so, you know, you can, you can address the theoretical lifespan of humans all you want, but if you can't do anything about the practical realities of living, well, we're all going to die. And COVID just reminds us of that very unpleasant truth. Now, as a pastor, I don't have the luxury of forgetting about death. I've officiated in more than 40 funerals. I've visited people in the hospital. I've visited people as they were dying. I've sat with the families afterwards. And I've seen the pain. I've seen the heartache. I've seen the loss. I've seen the disruption and i felt it personally in a 5 year period i lost my mom my father in law my dad my brother and my daughter i hate death when paul says death is our enemy i'm i'm with you paul the English Archbishop, um, yeah, Archbishop, uh, Bishop uh, N.T. Wright, he's an Anglican bishop, he wrote in one of his books uh, called Surprised by Hope, he said, there's something profound, and wonderful and profound, about entering a church through the churchyard. Where are buried those who worship there in centuries past? And if you've visited any place in in uh, Europe, you might have noticed, if you go to a cathedral or something, that they have the crypts and the little tombs, uh, all this stuff located all around the cathedral they 'll be out in the main floor they 'll be in the little alcoves they 'll be in the whatever they call the the basement um, they'll they 'll have little tombs all over the place to worship in in most Christian churches for much of the past two thousand years has been to be surrounded by a reminder of our mortality and for whatever reason we 've kind of forgotten that we've we 've tried to push it aside we 've tried to kind of you know, let's clean it up, let's, let's put it uh, behind closed doors, you know, let's send them off to the hospital. Uh, for whatever reason, here in our country, death happens somewhere else, and there are very few reminders of it, unless you seek them out. And in the face of all these problems, in the face of the reality and our deep desire to... Deny the reality. God tells us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid even of death. And that's what God says to me, and it's what he says to you, it's what he says to everybody. He says, do not be afraid. So, if you have your program, I want to begin looking at what God tells us so that we can we can do what he says, so that we can... We can get that lesson, you know, in, in not just in our heads. You know, we're not cramming for a test. We're trying to live by that insight that we do not have to be afraid. So our first point is that God is not happy when we all die. If you have this idea that God hates you and the reason for COVID or the reason for anything else is because God is really trying to get even with you for that thing you did. You know, you know the thing, Right. And if you have an idea in your head somewhere that somebody told you that God is trying to get even with you, that's not true. God is not happy that anybody dies, and he's certainly not happy that we all die. Now, the Bible, you know, one of the, one of the things that makes the Bible so inconvenient is it doesn't sugarcoat the reality. It doesn't tell us things that aren't true. The psalmist says, we live at best to be 70 years old, maybe 80 if we're strong, but their duration brings hard work and trouble, because they go by so quickly, and then we fly off. Psalmist sees this is this is the reality. Whatever God's intentions were and however God feels about it, this is the reality. So, what do we do? Well, the first thing the Apostle Paul uh, assures us that this was not. God's doing that. The way God designed the world, the God, the purposes that God had for the world, did not include death. That that He says, He reminds uh, His listeners, death came through sin, so death spread to all human beings, with the result that all sin. That this is something that was not part of God's purposes for the world. And the prophet Ezekiel uh, tells us, uh, speaking to the prophet, uh, the Lord God says, "This: Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? Even the wicked." forget the innocent do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked certainly not so God's not happy about death anyone's death even the people that that might say well this is God you know getting even with me because I did those things I smoked those cigarettes or I did whatever else I didn't take my statins right God does not take pleasure in your death. And that's actually something by itself that we can we can take hope from. Because, you know, I'm not happy about death either. But there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I can go to the gym, I can work out. But, but there's very little I can do about the underlying problem of death. But God, God can do something. And so, Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians, he says, he wants you to know the purpose of, of his writing was to give people hope. We want you to know about people who've died so that you won't mourn like others who have no hope. This is really the purpose for the the New Testament, to give us hope because, because we can't see with our eyes, we can't see as we look around this world filled with COVID and heart disease, we can't see what God has done. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to reveal God, to show us what God is like, to show us what God is thinking, and to show us what God is doing. Just to pick one of countless examples in the New Testament, we read in Luke's biography of Jesus, Jesus was coming into the town, and as he approached the city gate, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was with her. And when he saw her, the Lord had compassion for her, and he said, Don't cry. You might circle the word compassion. Jesus is showing us that God cares. That that when your mom dies or when your daughter dies, honestly, when your cat dies, God cares because he knows it hurts. Jesus had compassion for her and he told her, Don't cry. Jesus shows us God, but he doesn't stop with simply showing us what God feels. He acts. He shows us what God is actually doing. So that brings us to our second point. Jesus rescued us by defeating our enemy, who is death. This is something Jesus has already done. This has already happened. We have been rescued. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul says, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ when we were dead as a result of the things that we did wrong. Paul uses the past tense. This is something that has already taken place. That he brought us to life with Christ. There's a a mystery here, and Paul spends (laughs) 13 letters explaining it. There's a mystery, which is the mystery of God's grace, that somehow... Jesus came to 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 uh, to to be one of us so that we could join in his death or he could join us in our death really, and we could join him in his resurrection that we are we have been brought back to life in Christ that because of what Christ has done we have been brought back to life in his resurrection but but paul 's Paul and You know, even even reading all 13 of his letters didn't persuade the theologians of the last 2,000 years that it was clear. So they spent uh, 2,000 years, and I don't know how much ink, trying to make it more clear. And that's really why I like Jesus, because Jesus doesn't explain it. Jesus just gives us these happy, simple, easy-to-remember metaphors. One of my favorites is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the road that goes between death and life that that's who I am, that's what I'm doing. No one comes to the Father except through me. But probably my absolute favorite is from Revelation. Jesus tells the 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 seer, John, he's, he's in exile in Patmos, and he has a vision of Jesus. Um, and Jesus puts his right hand on him and says, don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, but look, now I'm alive forever and always, and I have the keys of, of death in the grave. The picture here is: is death took me down to his dungeon, and I beat him to a pulp. <laughs> that that I triumphed over death, and on my way out of the dungeon, I grabbed the keys, and I'm going to use them to liberate all of you. I love these these little metaphors that Jesus gives us. This is something that Jesus has already done for us, and because of that, because of that, we can serve God. Without fear, this is what, what uh, John's, John the Baptist's father said. He had he had nine months to think about what the implications were of Jesus, uh, the 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 arrival of Jesus. And so when his when his son was born and his his uh, uh, ability to speak was restored, he said that this is what Jesus means that he that in in Christ God has has enabled us to serve Him without fear. Jesus tells us, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. He says, because God, only God can kill our soul. And death has been defeated. There's nothing we have to worry about in this world because all they can do, all they can do is kill the body. Only God can kill the soul. And God has proven his love for us by sending Jesus. he says he reminds us this is something that's already happened he says i assure you that whoever hears my word and believes in the one who sent me has eternal life and won't come under judgment but is passed from death into life that this is already true now the thing is if you passed into eternal life how do you know right you you ultimately can't know you can suspect and as as you live the 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 regenerated life you can begin to say well that was easier than it should have been that that the old me wouldn't have done that right but ultimately it's an act of trust that we we walk by faith and not by sight in this life and so we just live as if it's true because our real life the life that that Christ is bound to in his dying and his resurrection is hidden with him Paul says to the Colossians, you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. That that our real life is beyond the, the, the reach of anything here in this world. It's hidden with Christ, and it will be revealed. We will see it finally when he is revealed. And because of that, Paul says, if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Paul is saying the things he did, the the amazing things that he was able to do. He he um, uh, performed all these miracles that that uh, that was a characteristic. Read the book of Acts. Paul Paul went around doing these miracles. He introduced a continent to 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 um, to Christ. He established I don't know how many Christian communities that. Through that life, the life of Christ, uh, he was able to achieve all these things. But he said, it doesn't matter. That 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 is just a part of the puzzle. That it's not like I have to achieve these things because then I'm going to die. He says, "He says whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And because of all these things, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says that Christ has set us free. He set free those who are held in slavery by their uh, their entire lives by their fear of death. This is, this is a gift from God that we don't have to worry about death. All the things that, that we say, well, I better do it now because, you know, you only live once or things like that. Anything that where we might, we might make a different decision if we, if we're concerned about, about dying. He says we've been set free from all those things. We can live in the freedom of the, the life we have in Christ. So Paul says, we who are alive are always being handed over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life can also be seen in our bodies that are dying. This is a way of, of understanding, okay, well, then why are we still here? He says, because, because the Spirit is living in you, the Spirit is living among you in the community of the, the family of the children of God, that, that the Spirit is at work in us and people can see that and they too can have relief from their fear as they see what the church is doing, as they see what Christians are doing, to live out this confidence in God's grace. So we are always being handed over to death so that people can see the life of Christ in us. And I know at least for Paul that was exhausting, and maybe it's exhausting for you too. So we will rest until Jesus destroys death. That there is, There comes a point in everybody's life where, where Jesus says, okay, that's enough. And it may be when we think, well, it was way too late, or when we think it was it was um, too soon, because there's still things we need to do. But God says, no, you know, this is the right time. And and people have debated, is it is it more like a, is, is it like getting a nap, this rest? Is it like I'm going to go, you know, catch a few, what is it, 40 winks? Or is it more like I'm going to go sit on the bench and you know drink some electrolytes, you know? Uh, it, th- there's there's reasons that different people have said have said both. The poet um, John Donne, uh, four hundred years ago, he said, "Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so." And he concludes his poem, "One short sleep past, we wake eternally." But whether it's whether it's sitting on the bench, watching the team win, ready to run out on the field, or whether it's taking a nap, we get a rest while Christ is at work in the world. Paul says, For me, living serves Christ and dying is even better. He reflects on, you know, everything he's achieved since Christ called him to his apostleship. He reflects on all those things, and he says, "He says those were great; those were absolutely great. But you know what's even better? What is in store for me? To live is Christ. I'm going to go on achieving all these things. But to die is even better. So why is it better? Well, maybe maybe Paul might have thought, well, because there, you know, no beatings, no imprisonment, no shipwreck. Maybe that's what Paul was thinking about. But better. But I think it was more than that. I think Paul had in mind." Paradise. Paradise is the waiting room in heaven until Jesus returns to complete the work of salvation. Jesus told the thief on the cross, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. And paradise is just one of those church words. It sounds like a good place, right? You know, the big rock candy mountain, something like that. We don't really know what to think about paradise. But I'm going to tell you, paradise is a word that came from, from um The Babylonian exile. It was, it's a Hebrew word, but it came from Babylon. And Babylon, famous for its hanging gardens. And there was a garden that was the garden of the king, the walled garden that was for the king and his favorite people. And they could go in there and they could pitch their proposals or they could just kind of get, get rewarded for, for good service or whatever it was. You went to the, you went to the paradise. Um, you went to the walled garden so that you could be with the king. You could walk with the king and, and, you know, hear his praises or, or say, here's what I want to do next or whatever it was. That was paradise to have access to the king. And Jesus saying, you will be with me in that paradise. So whether we're, we're napping or whether we're sitting on the bench, whatever it is we're doing in paradise, we are with the king. We're watching him as he goes and expands his kingdom on the earth. In Revelation, the, the the seer hears this voice from heaven say, Write this, favor to the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they can rest from their labors because their deeds follow him. That that when we die, when we go to that rest, the things we've done aren't discarded. They're not, well, you know, the real thing is what Jesus is doing. No, Jesus is doing the things he's doing through people like us. Our deeds are treasured. They're valued. They're honored. They're even preserved in some fashion. Martin Luther is, is uh, thought to have said, this is one of those things, you know, people have had trouble tracking down, but it's often remarked that, that Martin Luther said that if he knew that the world would end tomorrow, he would plant a tree Today because nothing we do in this life is wasted. Our deeds follow us. We get the rest, but our deeds are important here in this life. And while we rest, while we watch, Jesus rules. Jesus' kingdom goes from that invisible seed. It grows and grows. Paul says it's necessary for him to rule until he puts all enemies under his feet. That while we're resting, however long it is, he will rule he will establish and expand his rule on the earth and he says when he gets to the last enemy when there's only one more thing for the kingdom of god to take into itself death is the last enemy to be brought to an end because he's brought everything else under control under his feet that this is this is what we'll be watching as we sit on that on that bench We drink our heavenly, paradisal electrolytes, watching Jesus romp to an amazing victory. And when that happens, when our rest is done, when the kingdom has been brought in its fullness, when the trumpet sounds, and we are raised incorruptible, The dead in Christ are raised and we all meet those who were still alive at Jesus' return. Those who are alive join Jesus in the sky and God makes his dwelling among men. Death is no more and sorrow is no more and pain is no more and he wipes away every tear. This is why Christians don't have to be afraid of death. Because they can only kill our bodies. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are the witness to every death when no one else is there, when the hospital room is empty, when the protocols keep people from visiting, when a young girl dies at her own hand or from an overdose, you are the witness to every death. There's not just 700,000 deaths from COVID that you have watched, but all the others, and you have grieved. And because this was not your will, you sent Jesus to show us what your will is and to begin to make the changes required to defeat death and ultimately to destroy it. We pray, O God, for the increase of your kingdom, and we pray that, We will each be able to make a contribution to it until it's time for you to take us to the bench so we can watch the rest of the game. We pray all these things to Christ our Lord. Amen.